Welcome to The Long Box of Darkness, a podcast discussing horror in comic book form. I'm your host, Erman Lowe. Join me as we take a look inside The Long Box of Darkness. Long Box of Darkness, Herman Lowe back again for episode two of season two, and I'm joined by a guest that has been on the show before, a man who is no stranger to horror. He runs a horror podcast, after all, with two mates, the United Nations of Horror. He's also got his own endeavors, the Good, the Bad, and the Odd podcast, as well as the Kingology podcast discussing the works of Stephen King, which I'm proud to say that I've been a guest on. And this is, of course, Mr. Mark Kane. Mark Kane, welcome back to the show. Hey, hey, I'm glad to be back. Uh, <laughs> and I'm also really looking forward to talking about what we're going to be talking about, because you asked what I wanted to talk about, and I told you, right? <laughs> exactly. And actually, I don't know if you remember, but maybe three or four years ago, you're the one who indirectly introduced me to this title, because I didn't have many of the issues as a kid. And I've since tracked down 19 out of the 24 issues on my own well with with help from friends in the states who've been you know picking up the back issues for me i don't have issue one and two though which is what we're going to be talking about today but i got you to thank for that mr kane yeah i have i mean i used to have several of the uh, original runs uh, but they got lost over the years and i went and uh, basically acquired them all again through ebay uh, and such like uh, so i have got all 24 issues Amazing. Actually, I do have all 24 issues. It's a seminal series in the annals of horror, I think, in comics at least, because this is one of the very first, if, well, I mean, you could argue that EC Comics did it first, but this comic book series probably married horror and humor successfully for the first time, I think, consistently. And uh, let's not keep the listeners in suspense any longer. We're talking about Plop, DC Comics' series, (laughs) anthology, humor, horror series, Plop. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and i mean i have to say but when i first before uh before i started reading this and probably before it was published i was a fan of mad uh magazine yes. mm-hmm. uh and this is kind of the intersection of mad magazine and ec comics uh right. and mad magazine at the height of its powers too it has to be said That's uh, right. so it, it's a great marriage it's it's great it also uh, of course contains some creators that are famed for their tenure at mad basil wolverton did many of the covers uh, of this plop series of course many of the 24 covers before he was eventually replaced by wally wood who's also a mad alumni and then of well he's from from the earlier days of mad in the 50s and then of course we've got um, mr joe orlando who it's not was not never directly involved with Matt, but he was obviously an EC Comics artist from the 1950s, and then he became an editor at uh, DC, and he was also an editor for horror titles for Warren magazines in the 60s. But Mr. Orlando worked for the same company, obviously that generated Matt William Gaines's company, and then uh, last but never least, I I think Sergio Aragones. The, the famous cartoonist, the world's fastest cartoonist, as he's known, 
Yeah, and, um, and uh, uh, one of my favourite cartoonists, comic cartoonists of all time, basically from from Mad, really. Uh, though definitely. I've read more of his stuff since, uh, and certainly in Plop too. You know, Plop I was familiar with. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, before we get into the history of Plop, uh, Mark, I want to ask you particularly: Can you remember? way back when, when you encountered these issues in the wild, when you first picked up, I, you don't have to go into specifics like issue number or so, but how did you as a comic reader gravitate towards this title? Well, I always uh, had an eye out for sort of horror comics. I'm not an aficionado, but I know what I like, if that makes sense. Mm. And for example, we've talked about Gabriel the Devil Hunter and Monsters Unleashed, and I was always looking for titles like that. Uh, and uh, I also horror comics generally. So like Hammer House or horror comics, um, um, one called Monster Mag, which folded out into these very gruesome posters. But because, uh, you know, it was literature <laughs> rather than a movie, <laughs> my mother would allow me to buy these things and stick them on the wall. So I had massive pictures of Dracula being impaled on my bedroom wall uh, and stuff like that. <laughs> um, plop. Uh, I did try a few. I mean, they were doing some EC re, um, sort of reproductions in the uh, early, we're talking early 70s here, um, and stuff like that. And I remember some fairly adult ones that I bought, not really, I was in, they were quite as adult as, as they were, uh, called Towels from the Fridge. Uh, but I didn't tell my mother that they were <laughs> way, way too adult for me, really. Uh, but I still liked them. I still thought they were kind of funny and fun. Uh, they were kind of, uh, you know, from that sort of um, alternative culture kind of comic era, that particular one, Tales from the But Plop is much more age-appropriate, uh, and I really enjoy Plop quite a bit more. And unfortunately, it, it always leads me to compare. And whenever I read old EC stuff, or you know, um, Volta Horror, yeah, those kind of collections. I always subconsciously compare it to Plop. Actually, mm. Plop is kind of my linchpin for that in comics, which is odd because it's more of an offshoot of those rather than the other way around. Yeah, well, it's um, actually yeah, it's actually not that odd because if you think about it, uh, those old EC horror comics, which Joe Orlando, who's responsible for Plop, that that's where he he uh, had his origins as a comic artist and yes. a storyteller that they were infused with humor um mostly uh ironic humor of course when it came to you know the protagonist getting horribly mutilated in in some yeah know, um, it was very gallows gallows, <laughs> yeah, gallows humor, humor. And, indeed, and indeed if you read some of the plop um stories the artwork looks much more like the ec comics than the other plop stories that there's one that looked like they could have been reproductions from EC comics. And I've often wondered if they are, I don't know for sure because no, I know, yeah. for example, Kane and Abel as characters who are presenters in plot, you know, comic yeah. book presenters, uh, a bit like the crypt key keeper, in, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, they did appear in other titles as, as the sort of presenter stroke. Yeah. As the uh, hosts. Uh, so Cade and Abel did appear in different runs, uh, different magazines as hosts, uh, but they appear both appear in this along with Eve. Uh, yeah. So there's the three of them um, trying to basically, if you read the entire series, they're just trying to go to different places, different areas, whatever, going to places to try and explain plop 
to uh, <laughs> angry people usually yeah. angry beings of some sort uh, and it never really works out and that's part of the fun Right. Yeah, there's a bit of an interesting story behind all of this. Of course, it's not just Joe Orlando, the editor at DC, who was responsible for the genesis of this title. Uh, the publisher at the time was Carmine Infantino, uh, famous for obviously penciling The Flash, the revival of The Flash in the late 1950s and throughout the, the Silver Age of DC Comics in the 60s. But he became the publisher at this point in time. And him and Joe Orlando got together and they decided to cash in on the horror well the vacuum really left by marvel's not brand Eck series which uh, i think ran for 13 issues there it ended in 1969 and since mad was still killing it uh there was really no other competition in town so they thought okay they might try their hand at some humor but joe orlando being from ec like i mentioned he was interested in horror type humor he, he's always wanted to do it ever since his ec days and he thought it might be a hit and then Carmine went for it. But the reason they went for the the name Plop as the title of this comic series is because um, Steve Skeets, a writer um, at DC at the time and a writer for many other companies, he had done a story with Sergio Aragones for the House of Mystery title that DC had called um, Paper, I think it was yeah it was a it's a, a, a story that featured the name clop or the sound effect and then the sound of it like like yeah. like batman sound of you know kablam yeah. and stuff there was a, <laughs> yeah. a clop it was uh the story was i haven't read the story the poster plague i think it's poster called plague. poster plague yeah. yeah and it was in house of mystery which was presented i think by kane or abel and i could be wrong it, it was about I, yeah kane kane presented oh house there of we mystery. go there we go yes abel did house of secrets and then you know, this sound effect clop stuck in Carmine Infantino's mind. So because that story so successfully married humor and horror, Carmine referenced it and said, because of the poster plague, they want to get Steve Skeets on board as the regular writer and Sergio Aragones as the penciler. Um, and then obviously, since it's an anthology title, they would focus on other pencilers too, but they would be sort of the framing creators of the series. And then Carmine says, why don't we go for the name Klop, Plop? And then uh, they said, why do you want to go for that name? And he said, well, the sound effect you guys used in that poster plague story. And then, of course, Sergio Aragones, or it was Steve Skeets who said, well, they were having dinner discussing the genesis of the, the, the name. He said, no, that it's actually Klop. The, the name of the story is the poster plague. And then uh, Carmine says, so what are we going to call it then? And then Sergio said, well, let's go back to your original erroneous name which is plop <laughs> it sounds plop so is cool. a, it's, a, it's a good name because the original name apparently was zany which are, is a clear riff on mad yeah. um you know and there are other magazines that are quite similar sounding the cracked is probably the other yeah. more, most famous one of them but there are i think there are several kind of magazines of that time that sound a bit like mad uh, um there definitely are but i can't remember any of them um oh. Yeah, um, Cracked um, and Mad are the two most famous, I think. And then the Marvel, not brand, Ick. And then what were there? There were a couple of others, I think. Um, uh, but Weird Humor and Black Humor were both titles. That's that it, being, Weird. Weird. Yeah, weird is one of them. Bandied around, the, yeah. There's definitely so, so, I have, uh, digital copies of, of some of them, but I just can't remember any off the top of my head. 
Um, yeah. But there well, are definitely odd ones. Well, like you mentioned, Zany was going to be the name. That's why we see the ZA at the bottom of many of the cartoons uh, mm. featured in the first couple of issues of Plop, uh, especially the Sergio Aragonas cartoons. And uh, because it was going to be called Zany, so they already marked the art with a ZA, <laughs> but it never happened. It was Plop. And the hosts, Cain, Abel, and Eve, they go to great lengths in the beginning of each issue to describe exactly why it's called plop. And they refer to a sound effect that's associated with oftentimes murder, uh, accidental death, or just uh, plain bad luck. <laughs> this plop sound effect. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. Uh, I don't want to get too ahead of it, but I feel like issue two is where the whole thing really solidified. The first one, they're kind of playing with concepts and trying to figure it out. Uh, so the first mm. one, the plop examples are a little tamer. You know, they're like some of them, but not all of them. They're like, I don't know, someone blowing up a bubble gum, something like that. Yeah, Whereas yeah. the later ones, are, the second uh, um, issue and onwards, they're much darker. They're like, you know, things getting squashed and things like that. That's right. <laughs> There's a that's bit right. of that in the first one, but the, from the second one onwards, it's all that. Whenever you see plop, it's like, um, uh, it's like there is an old maxim, isn't it? That something like com uh, tragedy is when I break my finger now, comedy is when you see someone else break their neck, right? It's, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. That's that's pretty, that's that's black comedy, yeah, <laughs> yes. definitely. But I love those, that's that's the kind of thing I riff on. So, this is definitely a title for me, and I got to thank you, Mark, for getting me into this because over the last couple of years, I've been obsessively reading through through this and i'm a big basil wolverton fan and a big wally wood fan so the covers alone cause me endless uh, pleasure just looking through them whenever i pull them out of my long boxes and you know basil wolverton was at this point in time he was already famous for what he was doing over at mad uh, he was kind of called the michelangelo of the mad uh, at this point in time and then sergio aragonis was just coming into his own at MAD and known as the world's fastest cartoonist because he could produce strips in almost no time flat, often at a convention or at a an, an artist get-together. Uh, so these two guys were, were drafted by Orlando and by Carmine Infantino and Steve Skeets was on board as the writer. So they had their core team ready, but of course they had to have other artists as well to fill in and they decided to focus on indie artists, you know, the underground artists of the time, because mm. they wanted to exploit both markets, the regular comic book readers that buy DC plus the independent uh, sort of artist uh, supporters who was at, who were out there at the time. So they drafted lots of folks and uh, notable uh, for a title like Plop actually, which is, which is original for its time, I should say, are the number of female creators that they used. I mean, you've got, them using Lee Mars and Ramona Fraden in later issues and regularly. And this was not really done often back then. Well, that's good. I didn't know that. That's great to know, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Mary Screens were, was a writer on there as well, Maxine Fabi. Uh, so, you know, that's a very forward thinking of them at the time. And most of those stories are fantastic, I should say. So, but, you know, uh, more about the title before we get into the, the, the stories. Um, it only lasted 24 issues because eventually sales took a dip. Most of uh, the, re well, the, the main reason I would say for this was not because folks were not enjoying it. It's because they they decided not to go with any advertisements 
you know, they weren't going to do any advertising in the in the comic book proper. And you know, most of the the revenue generated by these early comics were, in fact, from the ads they ran in the comics. Yeah, they I mean, every other comic them. from that time would have be packed full of ads mm. all the way through, right? You know, X-ray glasses and uh, Charles Atlas, and you know, we all know that old comics like that have are full of ads. So it's kind of interesting they took that decision. Yeah, uh, with yeah. flop, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the, the series uh, was doing okay in the beginning, as most new series do, and then it was a gradual decline. But then, when once they saw the decline happening, they decided, okay, let's let's recover by putting in the ads, and that was sort of its death knell, because after yeah. that, it never recovered. And of course, they also had to cut some of the story pages to, to allow for ads, so the readers got less bang for their buck. And then eventually, you know, the title died away. But Steve Skeets, the writer, he remembers it very, very fondly, as well as Sergio Aragonis. Both of them are still alive. And um, it's one of the seminal, I think, series in their lives because they were completely in control at the helm. Obviously, editorial would step in every now and then. But oftentimes, they would change it right back to their original you know, ideas. Yeah. You know, even though Joe Orlando... <laughs> went in, in the opposite direction. And the, he did, really didn't care. He allowed them to play in their own sandbox. But I think the first issue was seminal in the annals of comic book history for featuring this classic tale from Bernie Wrightson, uh, written by Steve Skeets as well, which is called The Gourmet. And uh, that's the, the one that really, that I knew, because I, I had only picked up this title in recent years, right, Mark? But The Gourmet had been reprinted a number of times in fact uh, okay and we yeah. see is it, we see kane in that one as the as the host so we yeah and a different style of artwork that we see in the rest of the comic for kane exactly too. so that i've always wondered because of, of some of the um strips we see some of the stories we see throughout plop the artwork the sorry the hosts are presented quite in quite a different way um uh, and I've always wondered that, but that does explain something to me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's more presented as a horror type host in this one, whereas he's by Sergio Aragonis, Cain, Abel, and Eve are presented as their humorous uh, counterparts. I should say they're not really as horrific as they appear in the House of Secrets and Secrets of the Sinister House, and of course the House of Mystery where Cain was. But uh, I love that tale. I've always loved it, and I always thought it was a House of Mystery tale. Because after all, I think the first time I read it was in the Welcome Back to the House of Mystery uh, and from 1997 or 1998, which, which they used to reprint a couple of old classic horror stories. So it was one of the best Bernie Wrights and penciled tales. And we'll, we'll get into why just now. But before we get to that tale, which is sort of at the back end of issue one, Mark, we've got a couple of fillers which is not really fillers, of course, this was intended to provide different sides to the dark humor they were going for. But it they weren't lengthy, they were basically short tales. And among them are The Escape, uh, Kongzilla, The Message, and then finally we get to the, the tale, The Gourmet. And uh, this first issue of Plop dropped on June the 21st from 1973. And then, of course, the series lasted till 1976. But it was only 20 cent cover price, edited by yeah. Joe Orlando. And yeah, the cover artist, of course, Basil Wolverton. And um, I think you, you got a lot of story content there for just 20 cents. What do you think? 
Yeah, very. It was very, it was, I mean, yeah, just having a quick scroll through. There is really no fat on it, is there? It's kind of, there's something on every page. Uh, the escape is quite a long story, uh, and it kind of morphs into something else. You don't quite see it coming at all. Uh, but you know, we have a page full of uh, like single pane jokes in the, and I think, so, uh, you know, this is heritage from like. Charles Adams, isn't it? The, the kind yeah. of things they're showing here. Uh, but one thing I do like about it is if you go um, in some of the issues, it's uh, sorry, in some of the pages, it's just pains of different um, sort of comic things, single pain, you know, jokes. But in others, you see the pain overlaid over this kind of montage from Sergio Leone. That's quite amazing <laughs> of like little dinosaurs and people laughing and, things yeah, yeah. Uh, wrecking balls landing on people and they reuse it over and over in different colors they do reuse it over and over but it's kind of keeps the page interesting yeah it's um, almost similar to his marginals which he does for mad or did mad. for mad oh, which i always loved i loved say. it I loved, loved it marginal. you can see but his it, sense of humor you know coming because obviously he speaks spanish most of the time and his english is notoriously bad but oh, yeah. uh, that never stopped him because his humor is a visual humor and yes. um he but he did have, of course have a, a great writers on board that understood him perfectly he just felt he didn't have confidence when he wrote his own his own material where he usually re referred to uh you know co-writers or editors to help him out but the visual side is always there with aragonis yeah and that style persisted through most of the issues i think the last three or four issues they tried just trying to do different things they made it a different size it had a quite a different feel, uh, and that, that to me was when it stopped being the plot that I knew. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's all kind of there in issue one, but issue two, it's a bit like you know James Bond. Doctor No, it's kind of there, but when you get to Goldfinger, it's all there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and plots exactly. kind of like that. Issue two, it's all there, and then it kind of persists through most of the run. That style is 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 more specific there and as you say that we, we've got the gourmet to discuss but the other ones in it particularly concilla and the message are very lightweight the escape is a little more interesting it kind of and i don't really want to talk about that in detail but that kind of twists and turns and it's like suddenly it's almost like a tales of the unexpected twist right at the end oh and this led to this yeah, uh kind exactly of yeah and exactly so, whoa i didn't see that but yeah, there's also we... a yeah sorry I... go ahead I'll, no, no, I just want to say I'll give a rough synopsis just run, running through these first three issues and then we'll get into, or th first three stories and then get into the gourmet. But uh, basically the first tale is just the origin of the Black Plague, according to Sergio Aragones, these prisoners who were kept in horrific conditions, finding ways to amuse themselves since they couldn't escape. One of them trained rats and he had this rat circus and then eventually used the rats to escape and it seemed to be a happy ending in the very next pages kane saying nope it was not that happy an ending at all because that that's what caused the plague this outbreak of rats the rats that came from these horrific and unsanitary prison conditions <laughs> yeah and the big announcement is covered by sergio aragonis channeling someone like goya <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and europe you know with the plague all these priests and people dying and oh. coffins and stuff like this it's kind of fun that's uh, right but yeah it's fairly lightweight but yeah, the that, other ones are even even more so right yeah that's right that's that's sergio uh writing and penciling on in his own in the very uh, okay. first issue and i then, do like it yeah. i do like it as a, as a story great twist there plus a splash page as a twist reveal 
uh, that, that the one you just referenced, which is very Goya-esque, but in a cartoony vein, which is fantastic. And then we get to the next story, Conzilla, which is written by Frank Robbins, who's actually an artist, but he took his hand here at writing. He's, he's known for doing some uh, mid-70s uh, World War superhero comics, you know, with the invaders and also the shadow. And um, then he, the artist on that is George Evans. Kongzilla is a marriage of King Kong and Godzilla, a type of creature that shows up menacing society. And then he sets his sights on this particular person, which he spies in this love nest, the, one of these two honeymooners. And then the girl is all noble. She decides, okay, the military can't handle Kongzilla. She's going to give herself up and just give him what he wants. And then at the end, uh, her bow, her, well, newly uh her new husband tries to uh, save her husband and yeah. what happens at the end there mark <laughs> <laughs> well we find out kongzilla actually wanted the husband all along it wasn't the uh the wife uh and uh runs off and it's yeah. kind of funny and they actually say oh well king, so king kongzilla was a she yeah uh, they say <laughs> and, it's good. and we see this creature running off with this little man there are some funny pains in this that at one point to attract the kongzilla's attention she, where she's volunteered for she's you see her waving her bra it's <laughs> 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 kind of over now um and uh yeah and yeah it's a uh, Goofy story, but very it's goofy, kind of fun. But, but I fun, kind of yeah, like I the laughed. monster. Yeah, I yeah. love it the, the way they, the hybrid. <laughs> yeah, the top half's Kong from and waste. It's almost like a mermaid. But the top half's Kong <laughs> and the bottom half's Godzilla, basically. Godzilla, yeah. That's right. It's a it's a great visual there. So well done, George Evans there. And these are all old artists. George Evans comes from the Golden Age, you know. So they were. I think Joe Orlando was giving some of these older guys jobs at the time. They weren't getting a lot of um you know jobs from the big publishers and the next tale proves that too sheldon mayer who's a golden age creator and he also created sugar and spike uh for dc uh an artist here alfredo alcalo is part of the philippine invasion they did the message which is a, just a two-page story but fantastic it's about this ghost that floats out of the graveyard visits this old man in his home floats above his tv set and then uh, mysteriously floats back to the grave graveyard and then he discusses something with his mates and what is revealed there mark can you remember that one <laughs> he gives them he gives them the scores of the football game he just watched basically <laughs> and the ghosts are saying great oh no you know they're all like it's like a, him going back to a bar really exactly uh, yeah. yeah so oh. the ghosts only there to find out the football scores fantastic uh, i liked it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's great nice straightforward story and then we get to the kicker the the best tale of the bunch arguably because of bernie wrightson's art but also because of the main idea behind this and the reveal it's got that classic ec twist ending and this is the gourmet and uh this story is great mark i'm going to let you talk about this right off the bat i mean what's the setup here what's the premise of this story uh well it's essentially one man who as considers himself a gourmet but he's really just a greedy glutton Mm. Um, he knows what food he likes and he demands it. He's rich enough to do that. He's a rich man, so essentially he just wants certain foods and he wants them perfect all the time. And he just wants the same food over and over. And his particular fancy is frog's legs. So right. he's constantly demanding fresh frog legs. And if they served up to him and they're not quite right, he'll knock them out of there and say, bring me fresh frog's legs. Uh, but he's basically, he spent as part of his life sampling all these things, certain fruits and 
you know, prepared in a certain way. He's tried all sorts of things, and he's basically settled down to frog legs. That's all he really likes. Yeah, and um, they say that he finishes at more than 300 helpings of frog's legs a year, possibly more. Yeah. So yeah. he's definitely a glutton. And when it's not cooked to his specifications, he discards the bunch, wastes it, and then orders more, a fresh batch. So yeah. he gets his comeuppance in a fantastically eerie way because it turns out that the frogs that have had their legs severed to feed him were not quite dead. <laughs> they all clamber together to get revenge. <laughs> That's right. So there's he is all this little... Everyone in the house disappears, the cook and his manservant. But all he can hear is this weird squeaking noise, lots of small squeaking noises, and he goes and investigates. When he opens... Uh, the door essentially there's hundreds of frogs in like little carts and wheelchairs and crutches, <laughs> crutches. Uh, coming towards him <laughs> and it's kind of mortified and the story could have ended there right it could have ended there and it would have been a great little easy but it goes on it goes on That's yeah what he said. Uh, it it's a very horrific yeah yeah it's very it reminded me of freaks somewhat yeah, the ending of yeah. Freaks. Yeah. Uh, so essentially uh, we then get to, uh, I presume sometime later, these guys are in a bar and they're a bit annoyed because this flies around them uh, in a diner. Sorry, not a bar, diner. And they're saying, call the fly catcher. And then what happens is this guy comes out on a little cart, no legs, no legs. Uh, and when it, one of the flies flies past him, he, he zaps it with his tongue. Uh, and that's how he spends his day, the, the gourmet audiences flies you're you're exactly right this is definitely a comics via todd browning (laughs) you know like you said freaks because at the end they sort of transmogrify this gourmet into this grotesque half-human thing which now has a frog's tongue to catch flies in this diner and you know the flies are ever present it starts the story off with flies and then wraps it up with flies because the, the first page we see Kane introducing the story. He's got this uh, dish that he's serving with his brother Abel trapped inside. <laughs> and then the yeah, flies. Yeah, it's so are weird. It's so mm. weird. His little brother's in it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wondered if that was like uh, an insert of for From... this particular version, pl- the plot version of this story, and whether there was something else under that plate in other, you know, where it's been presented elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, because there's no reference to it otherwise, is there? <laughs> other than a little version of his, uh, yeah. of a man who presumably is his brother, is is on this dripping plate. It looks like, I don't know, beans or something. Uh, yeah, or, or it's supposed uh, to be frog legs or the sauce uh, that, it, that they're marinated sauce. in, but it's skein. Uh, uh, okay. it's- able so should i say no this was done completely on on demand for this particular issue which is fantastic because bernie wrightson thought oh, actually man, it was great yeah he was not going for more than your usual amount of humor and steve skids was though but bernie has admitted that he didn't really know which horror title it was for it could have gone to a different one but uh, he knew that plop was in the works and so uh, okay. he was just doing his regular penciling. He wasn't trying to make it uh, more funny than usual. But of course, Steve Skeets put that humor in there, um, in the dialogue and so forth. But I think Bernie was just doing another horror tale. <laughs> you know, he yes. he always puts a bit of comedy into his visuals, but more horror. I'd say 90% horror when it comes to Bernie writes it. And we get that I, here. I do like the fact that the host is Kane, isn't it? Yeah. He looks, he's, he's, 
he's drawn and inked in a different way, in a much more realistic way, actually. Yeah, that's um, the way. Or stylized way the, than the actual strip. And he appears throughout the strip commenting. You see his face, uh, and sometimes he's standing in a kitchen, and sometimes it's a close-up of one part of his face uh, and, and stuff like that. And it's really, really integrates really well it's kind of interesting i love um, the the shot of him mark on page 29 where Ka- where kane is sitting frog style on a lily pad on a lily pad <laughs> with it shadow below him right a reflection yep. of the water yes that's it yeah, yeah. That, that's a fine one um but there are also other ones i really like if you go to page 30 for example there's a shot of just his eyes between yes. two sets of panes. Yes, um, with the glasses. Looking over glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spectacles. Uh, that's really cool. It's really cool. It's fantastic. Um, and as I say, I don't think Plot quite hit its stride in this issue, but it was mostly there. But in the second one, it really comes together. Uh, and uh, it does have the continuing thing of our host uh, coming a cropper right at the end. Something yeah. horrible. Usually a plop happening to them. Yeah, that's right. Um, a plop happening after they try to explain once again what a plop is. And then in this issue, some horrific, well, frogzilla, <laughs> who would you say it is? But a gigantic yeah. kaiju just steps on them with a plop yeah, sound effect. It could, it could be Kongzilla. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but that is plop. Um, and we also have to mention the fantastic artwork on, they have a, on the front of each issue. Yeah. Uh, they're Basil weird. Hmm. Yes, weird sort of humanoid creations aren't they um in, in the first issue it's a man with very long arms and they give a little speck about them and they sort of say arms armstrong was you know this <laughs> um yeah uh, and this man's got <laughs> arms weight and he's got tiny little legs but his massive arms um but they all, they've all got i mean i've seen this guy also does mad doesn't he i've seen yeah basil wolverton yeah yeah he yeah, actually yeah, started does. off in the 50s doing horror comics and yeah. he mostly penciled them straight, but they were obviously cartoony. But the figures were more humanoid looking. Then when he went to Mad, he started to uh, dabble in these grotesqueries that he created, which is which is great. That's what, what made him, I think, famous among a wider public is these grotesque images. And so they, they tapped him to do the covers for Plop. And like I say, later on, Wally Wood would replace him because I think... Uh, Basil became ill because actually came out of retirement, Mark, to do these covers for Plot. Yeah, yeah. He was already a golden age artist that now, you know, had retired in the in the early 70s. And then they through contacts of obviously mostly Joe Orlando, they drafted him to come back briefly. Yeah, it's some cool work. I always feel this particular artist um, always kind of starts with the teeth. Because teeth is always a prominent, yes. seems to be quite a prominent thing in his work. <laughs> it kind of starts from the teeth upwards. I think it's like that's his favourite starting point or something. I, I agree, definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's this thing with these massive choppers that he likes is to it? draw on folks. They look sort of like white granite slabs in most cases and, and uh, all broken and protruding and buck teeth. But uh, it, it adds to the horrific humorous effect <laughs> that Mad uh, gave us. And yeah, it's yeah. present here in Plop. But you know, then uh, that's the first issue. Of course, we should mention there were some uh, type of large scale marginals there, not just by Sergio, but a couple of other artists as well. And they sort of s- serve as side gags or, or one-off gags in the style of, um, you know, regular newspaper cartoons, which you might see, or something akin to the far side, 
which they didn't have back then, of course, but uh, sort of the early genesis of that style of cartooning, just um, much larger than you would find in Mad. And those ones are also fun. I, I like those uh, one-off single panel horror tales that they uh, they mix with. Yeah, the yeah. Like, like I say, it's a bit Charles Adams as well. Some of them anyway, some of them. Um, but they tend, I think in this first issue, they're more general comic. You know, they could go in any horror comic, but in later ones, they were a bit more ploppy. If yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, know. definitely. Well, um, I mean, that brings us to the second issue because the second issue, like you do, and I do agree with you there, it sort of comes together uh, nicely. And yes. um, the first one was very much, I think, a trial and error type of uh, product, which worked because the sales apparently were quite good. And that's why they continued the series for 24 issues. Um, or they, at least at the end, they still tried to revive it because humor never really goes away, does it, Mark? I mean, the, the editorial's perspective was mad still selling great guns. So why can't we? We must, it must be a formula that we didn't quite mix correctly in the very beginning. So we, we have to keep trying until we get it. Unfortunately, they didn't. But uh, in the beginning, the, the genesis of that was there already. Folks bought it and it sold well uh, its first year even. So um, I can see what. Well, we certainly meant. got across the channel. You know, we got it in the UK uh, from America. It was, and I bought it fairly consistently. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like because some comics comics we got were just odds and ends. They were just kind of here, you know, here's one. Oh yeah, I'll buy that, and then you never see the next issue, or it'd be quite difficult to find it. Yeah, because yeah. they're imports. You know, they're imports. That's right. Um, well, this. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. Like, uh, it's something that transcends, let's say, something like the superhero genre. Because as we know, superheroes, uh, DC's bread and butter, it's not really popular in the rest of the world, especially at this time. Now it is probably with all the movies and so forth in a more uh, widespread vein. But back then it wasn't. It was firmly... Well, some other countries were, of course, reading superhero comics, mostly Britain, because the comics were shipped over as ballast. So yes. it was definitely available. But uh, what I mean to say is I think France and Britain, they gravitated more towards science fiction and fantasy and uh, true crime. Indeed, yeah. And, I mean, uh, well, horror. also, you know, uh, yeah, there was, I definitely remember buying things like, I wasn't so much on Spider-Man and so on. I got got the odd one. I was a much more a DC guy for that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but I did like, you know, Morbius. Uh, Tomb of Dracula, mm. Planet of the Apes, uh, the the oh, I can't remember the name of it, the zombie one that was Marvel. Oh, um, uh, oh, you mean uh, Tales, of Tales of the yes, Zombie? Tales of the Zombie. Yes, Tales of the Zombie. Simon Garth. Uh, things like yes, yes, that's it. Simon Garth. Oh man, that's a name I've been in a long time. Uh, yes, Simon <laughs> Garth. Yeah. Um, uh, and and things like Plop. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It worked. I think it worked. But you know, horror is always ubiquitous. I think you can see that uh, horror genre existing before you know, the superhero genre, and will exist afterwards, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's my first love, and yours too, I know, Mark. But science fiction too. Science fiction has been with us from... These are all just sub-genres, really. So it, mm. it's, it makes sense. That's the long story short. That's the point I'm trying to reach here, is it makes sense that this would have a wider audience and why it's sold probably well in the UK. Uh, yeah. But issue two, yeah, it's definitely a more cohesive effort. We've got um, it cover-dated as... Uh, November 1973, but it was on sale officially August 23rd, 1973. And oh, okay. this was when the title was still bi-monthly. And an, another 20 cent issue. 
of course, edited by Orlando, cover again by Wolverton. We'll talk about the cover just now. It's got four tales in it. The Demand, No Ghoul, Like an Old Ghoul, Hey Skinny, and then The Man Who Came to Dinner. Which is the one we're yeah. going to focus on this this last story, the man who came. Yeah, to dinner. but I have to say I like all of the stories in this Same. one. Uh, <laughs> but the man who came to dinner is a much more serious, not serious, but uh, a much more detailed and less cartoony story. Uh, whereas the other ones are much more twisting the towel, dark gallows humor kind of That's thing. Right. And That's I also right. have to say I think the you know the little plop inserts they do put to explain plop. Uh, certainly feel more coherent they're, they're basically bad things happening to someone <laughs> yeah uh, with the sound effect pop. but they've done really yeah. no, they're sergio aragonis again but um they're very funny they're very funny yeah, i agree um yeah. uh but uh yeah so i feel like it coheres in issue two onwards really yeah i like it i i, I love the fact that uh there's more of them this time around of aragonis's madness and then the demand yeah. is an entire, what, five or six page uh, story penciled and written again by Sergio Olbeis Lonesome. And it entails these prison, uh, well, prisoners who are upset because their football game keeps getting interrupted on the TV uh, yeah. by executions. And so they, <laughs> but you don't know that in the very beginning, although no, it's... they're kind of like, these executions are going to stop. It's all that, right? And they riot <laughs> and take hostages and in the end the governor says let out your hostages i'll listen to your demands but i'm not president and that basically is please stop execution during uh football games it's like, that's right wow. that's right exactly wow. <laughs> they don't care for the life of their fellow inmates they and just it, want to watch their football and the uh, the actual expression on the governor's face makes me laugh like huh? <laughs> <laughs> now mark a story we could have highlighted as the main tell but didn't was the second one which is no ghoul like an old ghoul. This is a long tale by writer Jack Olick and Actually, artist yeah. Alfredo Alcala. What do you think yeah, about this story? Uh, this is the one I was wrong, actually. They aren't all cartoony. This one is a, a much more detailed uh, uh, and interesting story. And this is the one I always remember when I think of plot. This specific one is the one I think of first when I have reminiscences about plop i do remember a lot of the others there's one in here i remember quite distinctly that we'll come on to in a bit um uh, but this is the one for me where it kind of oh yeah that's plop that's yeah, definitely plop. exactly um, yeah this one is a is a great little tale it's very much in the ec vein but you've also got a bit of creepy and eerie from the warrant magazines in there because it's very ghoulish just like the title suggests this old man is a grave robber and he's got this young apprentice with him who doesn't look so young anymore, but probably for the time, that's just the way they look, these long moustaches. And uh, But this mm -hmm. apprentice helps him to dig up these corpses, and then he steals their jewellery, because it seems that in this small town, most of the folks are being buried with their valuables, and then reburies them, and that's how he gets rich off of the this uh, ghoulish trade of his. But uh, the townsfolk seems to love him. The kids, he's a type of Father Christmas type of figure, right? A Santa Claus... Uh, everybody uh, seems to respect his opinion yeah. and whatnot. But he goes to this dentist, right, Mark? And this dentist is pivotal to the tale, in fact. I mean, he robbed the dentist because the dentist's deceased wife had this diamond ring on them right in the beginning of the tale. And then he keeps getting his teeth replaced by this dentist. And and what, what happens at the end? Like, what is the big twist? Well, the big twist is um, the man knows he's dying and he's gets paranoid that his 
understudies can dig him up. So he insists his entire nothing of any worth is is buried with. He's just buried in the cheapest coffin. You know nothing, nothing else. But in the end, we do see that um, his apprentice does dig him up. I like this apprentice. He he kind of does everything topless and wears a top hat. It's kind of very funny. And, uh, he's and essentially, <laughs> yeah. yeah, essentially he's. Uh, for some reason, the dentist has filled a set of dentures with gold fillings. I don't know why you do that with a set of dentures, <laughs> but he's done that. Uh, and uh, that's what he wants. He wants the gold uh, fillings. That's right. That's right. Um, I think the reason that he unknowingly had gold fillings is because the dentist sort of, because the old man, once his teeth are replaced, he wants to pay the dentist. And the dentist says, no, you know, a saint like you, I won't hear of it. This is a job that's completely free of charge. It's an honor to serve you, sir, because the whole town loves him. <laughs> so the dentist probably put the gold teeth in there as a thank you for this altruistic figure when in fact he was the worst of the town. And that's why the gold was in his teeth. Now, how his understudy, like you mentioned, knew about it, that's, you know, in the wind. But I think um, it makes for a great bit of comeuppance there at the end, right, Mark? Because there's no reason for him to dig him up, but he still digs him up. At first, it seems that he just wants to say goodbye to his mentor. <laughs> yeah, know, the yeah. way that he remembers him at the grave sites they dug up. But then, no, it's because he's an opportunist and he's listened at the knee of this old expert at grave robbing. And he's going to take his chance and take the teeth. Indeed. <laughs> we do We do see earlier on that the his understudy is actually the town blacksmith, which is why he's ripped. And we he does yeah. actually, we, there is a pain which shows him watching the guy go in the dentist. And then there's a later bit where um, the old man's showing him the work that he got done for free. So the apprentice is having a good look at these fillings. Yeah, that's where um, he could have seen. Because he's yeah, a blacksmith too, was, like you say, he could recognise... Yeah that more easily than the old man. So yeah, right. indeed. He, he can that... melt it down and all sorts, right, as well. He kept um, that to himself. Mm. <laughs> but the twist for me was the fact that it's got dentures because it looks like it's his own teeth that are getting filled. But right at the end, he just takes them out because it's. I guess it's a too gr grim to have him pulling out teeth, right? Yeah, so they that's probably... Then taken it out in some neater way, but they did it as... as and he says, I've learned a lot. And there's all this, I've learned a lot from you. I know, you know, I've learned my trade. I'm not as good as you, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> uh, and he is kind of, uh, yeah. So, and there's a few puns about teeth all the way through. Eve... Yeah is presenting this makes joke, you know, like this is the root of the problem is all that. <laughs> yeah. She, she really goes into uh, the uh, But this, as I say, this particular strip is the one I think of first when I think of plop. Yeah, no, I can understand why, it's because it's a memorable. standout, especially since it can easily compete with something like the gourmet from Bernie Wrightson in issue one, which is, which is definitely one of the greatest, well known now as one of the greatest hard tales that, DC produced in the Bronze Age in the 70s. So if it can stand up to that, you know it's a good tale. And it, and it is. Jack Oleg, great horror scriptwriter for the other anthologies as well. And then, of course, Alfredo Alcala, a legend. So you've got the creator, the creators down, you know, that you need for a classic tale. So I can, I can understand. If I probably had read it when, you know, I was uh, a young one, I would have definitely remembered this tale too. In many ways, it's almost superior to the gourmet at least in the horror yeah. comedy angle um, and in the reveal. And then, Mark, we get to another Sergio Aragonis tale. Now, this guy was a workhorse because think about it. He was doing Mad at the time uh, and then he was doing this. And he two full-length tales. 
and this one's called Hey Skinny, and it's a classic riff of, of the, the insult that made a man out of Mac, that classic old comic book story or ad that, that was featured as a comic book tale of how this uh, wimp on the beach was had sand kicked in his face, and then he went to do a Charles Atlas a gym course that made him a Hercules. And then he yes. got his own back against the bully on the beach. Now this is that tale. So it's quite different though. How does he, rather than going to, to this Charles Atlas met method, how does this little uh, nerd get himself ripped? <laughs> well, he's, he's a horror. He likes reading horror comics. You see him reading a horror comic and it basically goes to some conference. I don't know what sort of conference where a guy says, I'm, I'm made a, serum that can turn you into werewolves he says ah oh, become a werewolf and it's also, it's amazing he has this fantasy of becoming a werewolf basically turning into a werewolf when the guy bothers him and then we cut to a scene with him walking off with the girl as a werewolf uh where the girl said oh you're a werewolf and then said gosh i heard that that guy killed the bully of the beach yeah, well it's, said, about, yep, time. it's about time <laughs> just killed him just killed him so wow um this guy's so, living yeah. in a fantasy world but you know i love that the first page and a half is a recreation of the classic you know insult tale that made a man yes. out of mac and you know aragonis did it beat for beat and then the story goes completely off the rails the little nerd goes to knock on the professor's door he volunteers for this werewolf experiment and he grabs the serum but the professor says no you have to stay here for observation he says nope sorry i've got someone i've got to meet now that i've got the serum he's intent on getting revenge on this bully yeah and the and the, and the professor actually says and we get kind of last shot of the professor's lab and there's like little details in the bank and yeah. things in cages and stuff like that and the professor <laughs> says this will this is permanent you'll become a werewolf for the rest of your life and he said well oh it's so worth it just to get back to that guy <laughs> marching back back to the beach while he transforms um, and then what is the 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 final kicker there mark like the final kicker to... is instead of becoming a whale becomes a little french poodle <laughs> with a little even got a little bow on its head right and all the horrible <laughs> big dogs on the beach basically rip him to pieces ripping the pieces mm, mm. the pr professor's like oh well i didn't get the formula right back to the drawing pool and it just ends it's yeah, like, it's, wow! It's, it's a great, it's a great little it. story. Hey, skinny, great title as well. Hey, skinny, absolutely love it. love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, all of these tales hit it uh, pretty high. Later on, I'm going to ask you to give a score, but I'm more going to think about in you know the the sense of both issues, which one was your favorite. But I already see which one you're gravitating towards, Mark. We'll we'll do that at the end there. Yeah. But um, right now, we've got a bit of a Thanksgiving tale here. The man who came to dinner. This one's very macabre as well, and it has a type of a Basil Wolverton feel to it, but you know, it's penciled by Nicholas Cardi. Nick Cardi is actually known as a cover artist, but of course he did the odd interiors here and there, and he could go horrific when it comes to the horror comedy, and he does that Basil Wolverton style with this pilgrim. Uh, but first, set the scene for us, Mark. And what is the setting for this tale, The Man Who Came to Dinner? Written well, by George uh, Caston, I should say. I yeah, it's, it's one of the pilgr the pilgrims hunting uh, uh, turkeys with a blunderbuss. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, just killing them to go, go trade, right? And But um, the Native Americans there uh, kind of says... Um, you know, you're still in our food. You're, our children will starve and stuff like that. He goes, yeah, but, you know, it's my bread and butter. Too bad. That's your problem. Um, uh, and then it, they 
kind of perform a ritual and curse him. I have to say, I really like some of the images, some of the individual paints in this. Yeah. Particularly the horrible man who's, um, I've forgotten his name, uh, but the man who's doing the shooting. Um, Oh yeah. What is his name? His name is, uh, I think if I remember correctly, uh, Yodel. (laughs) Yodel. Yodel, Yeah. Yodel. It's such a weird name. Uh, And he's kind of got slightly googly eyes and teeth that go every which way. Uh, and they they get some real interesting close-ups of him, uh, especially he's having bad dreams and trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, I really think it's got some standout um, pains. This one really, definitely, really funny. Definitely. The visuals uh, are great. I mean, look at the way all. Well, there are three distinct figures. All of the figures in this is, are completely distinct, right, Mark? But you've got Yodel as the singular individual, and then you've got Chief Dark Cloud who curses him. Who's yeah. he looks like a caricature of an Indian, but in a horror horrific sense with a bit of comedy there for extra flair. And then you've got Yodel the turkey he becomes, which has he has a range of emotions on his turkey face, which which shows the strength of the of penciler Nick Cardi here. But yeah, there there are images in here that you can't get out of your mind once you've read it. Yeah, I mean, Yodel's face, when he starts laughing and it turns into a turkey gobble, when everyone's like, hey, yeah, that's the best imitation I've ever heard. And he just looks perplexed <laughs> and a bit downcast, and thinking, what the hell's happening to me? Um, and then, you know, he starts turning into a turkey. Exactly, and then he remembers yeah. his nightmare that yeah. he was turned into a turkey. And yeah. the Indian, and uh, sorry, the Native Americans grab him. And there's a great bit where they put it out by the neck, but his, uh, his, his claws are together like he's in prayer. Yeah, as they're, yeah. Uh, yeah. because he's up. a Christian. It's so he's... Yeah, it's very funny. Very funny. <laughs> and then they and serve they... him up as a giant turkey to the pilgrims. So they're yeah. eating one of their own in this dark twist at the end. And uh, but it's it's very very horrific if you think about it. There's a couple of scenes here though that that really disturbs me. You've got more Todd Browning here if you think about it because uh, the, the transformation scene, which is uh, where he's half turkey half human, that reminded me of the Todd Browning where they stuck feathers on her, yep. turned well, her into this half avian thing. It's just horrific. Bird woman, yes, yeah. yes. Um, then, hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, just a great strip. I mean, uh, yeah. There's, there's some very good ones in this issue, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then what about but, the final, uh, the plop segment? This this is now where it gets a little bit more interesting, uh, you know, the plop uh, yeah, story. They're, <laughs> just, they're just telling the story in the woods and a, an axeman, sorry, a lumberjack runs past them and they're like, mm-hmm. and then a tree falls on them and goes <laughs> plop. So uh, we haven't quite got to the phase where they try to explain to people uh, you know, there's bits where they travel in time and go and explain it to cavemen. They even or, have Superman right? that they explain yeah. it to. <laughs> uh, they're just <laughs> explaining plot to people. And it always comes a cropper. They always annoy people, uh, you know, and the pitchforks come out or something like that. But essentially they get plopped. That's uh, right. But they get That's plopped right. in this, but it's more like they just have to be sitting somewhere they can be plopped rather yeah. than trying to explain it to anyone. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's I mean, right. Uh, that's probably the only missing element at this point uh, to what the comic becomes. Uh, Agreed. It's, it's yeah. Let's try to explain that. Agreed. Yes. Now, final thoughts, Mark, before we get to ratings, I want to ask you about this classic cover by Basil Wolverton. Uh, we see this at the end as well. So that's why I want to end it with the cover as we start. I mean, just look. 
Yeah, just looking at the cover, it looks like it's spaghetti, right? But in yeah. fact, there's a little explanation. Uh, sorry, I'm just scrolling to get back to the cover. Yeah. Um, art arteries. Art <laughs> arteries. He's got the world's longest arteries, um, uh, but he says he has to uh, escape from roving bands of fanatical spaghetti lovers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they follow him around trying to eat yeah, him, but it's I mean, his arteries. arteries. They're all like, I mean, this entire body is covered in tubes. Oh, um, and they're hanging off his hands, around his feet, off his nose. There's bits hanging off that have got knots in, uh, but Oof. there is supposed to be his arteries. It's so grim. It's so weird. And he's got, you know, the big teeth. He's got a big nose. Um, and uh, but yeah, art arteries. Uh, I just are there roving bands of fanatical spaghetti <laughs> lovers, really? Um, uh, but yeah, okay, uh, yeah, not bright yellow, nice different color. They they did this a lot with plop, basically, they put some uh, humanoid thing on the front <laughs> and put a bright color behind it, and and it and it, the entire color covered it. This one is yellow, bright yellow, that's right, uh, that's yeah, right. magnificent piece out. of work. Fantastic. Yes. Now, Mark, let's get to ratings for the first issue of Plop. I'm going to ask you to give some frog legs out of five. How many frog legs out of five would you give oh, Plop I'd number one? I'd say uh, three and a half frog legs. Could we have a half a frog leg? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, yeah, so I'd say three and a half. It's it's there, but the, 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 the pains, the individual cartoons... Uh, aren't uh, you know where it's a single pain cartoon aren't quite as hitting the mark in a lot of spots uh but um i really liked um the certainly the gourmet was excellent and i quite liked um the first one which is is it the escape the escape yeah that, that's it uh, that's about it. the play uh but you know Kongzilla and and was fine the message is very far away very far away but yeah. overall i'd say this one for me and you know this is the first of and it's setting quite a lot of templates. Uh, you know what? I'm going to up it to four, four frog legs out of five. For me. Yeah, that's that's my score as well. I'm a little bit more generous, but I yeah, we're the same at the end, I should say four, because uh, the next one's definitely going to be my favorite. Uh, so four, four frog legs out of five for me as well. The next one will go with the rating system of blood-flecked gold dentures. <laughs> so how many blood-flecked gold dentures do you well, get? How many, how, how many out of five? Oh, five. Five. I was going to say 32 for each tooth, but no, five out of five. This, <laughs> this, this issue has no weaknesses. Absolutely yeah, none. Yeah, the plops yeah. are really funny. You know, Sorry, when I say the plops, individual pains that are a plop joke, some are individual pains which aren't plop jokes, but there's a lot of a whole set of plop jokes and they're all really good. There's, I don't want to go find the issue if you can. But mm. all right, for example, there's a massive crowd of Mexicans running towards um, Mexican revolutionaries running towards soldiers, and they're just firing a cannon, and the cannonballs just landed on the floor with a plop. And you can see their hats flying up off their head. They're terrified because this order, you know, it's things like that. Um, yeah. And, you know, the plop sound of it. And also my favourite, I think, is there's an uh, um, obviously a sculptor doing a massive statue <laughs> and he's just hit it once with a plop and the entire statue's got a massive crack ran into it. That, that makes me laugh too. But all of them are good. They're all good. They're all good. Yeah, I've uh, got the I same like, score, yeah. Five out of five, like, definitely. I, I like all four stories, uh, but particularly... Um, um, uh, the, the, no ghoul like the old ghoul. No ghoul like the old ghoul is always memorable to me, but I also like the man who came to dinner a lot. But the other two are really good too. 
Uh, yeah. They're funny and and dark and uh, and uh, uh, in many ways they're kind of, you know the the funny side of EC is definitely being channeled here and Charles Adams too. Yeah, um, true, true. Um, yeah. But yeah, this uh, this I think might be my favorite um, issue. Actually, of, of the entire of 24 run. Yes, run. I think oh, it might right. be. Yeah. Great, great, but there great, are some great, great issues after this too. Definitely. And yeah. I want to have you back, Mark, to discuss them again in the future. But, you know, you and I share so many horror uh, likes and dislikes, in fact, too. But, you know, that we might discuss something else before then. But um, I want to thank you for once again, you know, making the long box of darkness that much brighter. <laughs> Sometimes I get too wrapped up in some depressing talk so we had some fun tonight but mark before i let you go i want to ask you to let the listeners know where can they find you and uh, what have you been up to lately and what can they check out when they want more mark kane right well uh, i do often uh, feature on the united nations of horror podcast which is unhpodcast.com uh where i talk with jason and sometimes becky becky as uh, for, for various reasons as hasn't been able to participate uh but she's always there and we always talk to her about stuff we're doing uh and we sort of we've recently and it's just gone out we've covered the omen for example we asked mm. uh people mm. in our facebook group what they'd like us to cover we try and do that because we haven't been as productive in terms of content as we would like to be uh so we tr are now trying to okay listen to our facebook community and sort of deliver based on what they say they would like us to cover to try and keep it as interactive as possible. And Makes in that, sense. we also we also maybe once a month, maybe a bit less frequently, we run a, a what's called we call it the um, um, UNH gets twitchy. We we run uh, a watch along yeah. uh, once a month of of one or two public domain horror films uh, on on Twitch which is, you know, a free platform you can join, which is more for gaming, but you're allowed to share video content. But obviously we're only allowed to share public domain horror films. So we've got one coming up soon, for example, but we have done lots um, in the past, but we're all, we've got one coming up soon where we intend to cover, oh, what is it? It's um, The Most Dangerous Game, which we have covered uh -huh. on the main podcast and discussed because that's in the public domain and uh, not a hammer, but it's hammer adjacent one called the beast must die, which is yes. also in the public domain. One of my so we're going to be yeah. doing a double bill um, very soon. So you might, by the time you might listen to this, it might've been and gone. It may have been and gone. So you <laughs> kind of need to look up the United Nations or enjoyed uh, to, to sort of keep it full. In addition, I, I, you know, as you mentioned right in the beginning, I run the good, the bad and the odd. So that's the good, the bad and the odd, uh, uh, com. Um, that's right. And we, me and my eldest son, uh, Sam talk about all sorts of films uh, we do do long explorations. For example, we just finished James Bond, all of the James Bond films, but we did it over four years, right? <laughs> so Whoa. it's not every week. It's now and again we'll cover one. And we're still working through Hammer, and we're intending to, uh, I think, next week record, and we're doing Hammer chronologically, for example, um, Hammer movies. So mm. we're doing um, Plague of the Zombies is our next one on that oh, list. nice, nice. And we've already oh. done 20-odd, so you can go back and listen to them all. Mm. But other horror ones we've done, we did an entire universal run of 50-odd, I think it was, 50 yeah. episodes. 
uh, and we've done the kaiju and that kaiju is ongoing because kaiju films just keep coming out so we just add one as we go <laughs> uh, so there's like 50 kaiju ones uh, so you go back we've got 780 episodes in all so you know yeah. we've got a lot of content mixed in with that is also my uh, kingology for example which yes. you are very kindly been guested on uh That's for some time now and it's but it's a lot of fun. chronologically covering the works of Stephen King and sometimes the movies and, and so on. Yeah, um, you know TV segments. Uh, I also run uh, within the Good, the Bad, and the Odd. It's all part of the main feed, but it's got its own feed as well. Uh, something called Anthology, which covers anthology TV shows such as The Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Night Gallery, yeah. uh, and I'm always digging up little gems that you would not expect. <laughs> like, for example, recently I talked about an old show that maybe a lot of people have heard of called Way Out uh, from the early 60s. Uh, only 14 episodes, uh, but the first episode is called William and Mary. It's based on a Roald Dahl story, and it was presented, hosted by Roald Dahl, uh, early days. Um, and it's a cracking little story. Very dark, very dark. It would wow. fit into plot plop quite well the sort of story uh, uh but it's on youtube uh william and mary you can you can dig down on youtube way out william and mary if you want to see it. it's like 20 minutes it is a very dark uh gallows oh, humor kind of story i'll definitely um, have to have a look uh, at that that sounds right yeah. up my alley mm. so that's what i've been doing i think uh that's what that's all i've been doing not much not really. yeah but if <laughs> I, I i mean that that sounds like a lot <laughs> compared to me now i feel right lazy but um i'm gonna let our listeners know that if they want the the central hub really uh, is the united nations of horror and then of course your podcasts uh, they can follow but if they want some some internet goodness a, a home away from home uh, very much like a family feel join the united nations of horror facebook group yeah really indeed i definitely point. would if you want to join a, a community of friendly and horror loving people that's the place to go. I have to say, the good, the bad, and the odd is more like a one-way channel. I just put things out on it. I don't do much discussion on that channel, but on I, I do have discussions and sort of racing. If I want to chat with people, I go in United Nations of Horror Facebook group. Uh, that's, that's right. Yeah. No, you're so, doing uh, lots of stuff, Mark, and you're still keeping me entertained after what four and a half years by now. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I mean, I've been the good, the bad, and the odd. I've been doing over ten years now, and yeah. the United Nations of Horror is nearly five. So yeah. yes, that's right, that's right. But Mark, listen, thanks again for coming onto the Long Box of Darkness. Last time we talked Gabriel. This time we talked something that's possibly even closer to your heart, Plop. And I want to thank you. I can't wait for the next meetup that we'll have to discuss something else, but. We'll, we'll talk about that off mic. I want to end this by saying it's been a real pleasure, mate. Thanks again for coming on to the Long Box of Darkness. Oh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure too to come on. Thank you. All right, everybody. We're going to take a short play, a break and play a promo, and then I'll be back to wrap up the show. So don't go anywhere. And action. It's Fade Out. Hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests. Fade Out will examine the final films of Hollywood's brightest lights, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Well, that's it for another episode of The Long Box of Darkness. Look forward to more content coming your way. We've got an interview with indie creator David Whalen, which should drop in a week's time. And then I'm also doing another solo show of The Long Box, where I'm covering the rest of Swamp Thing Volume 1 from the Bronze Age material after Bernie Wrightson 
and Len Wein departed the title. And finally, Billy Delicious, my friend from Into the Weird, and I were covering the Marty Pasco years of Swamp Thing Volume 2, right after the movie hit it big. So check those out, listeners. Stay subscribed, please, and those episodes will appear on your feed pretty soon. If you want to contact the show, you can do so by sending an email to darklongbox at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at darklongbox. Or check out our other sister show, Into the Weird, the Marvel Bronze Age comic book podcast, where we discuss all manner of Marvel strangeness and horror from the Bronze Age with my friend Billy Delicious from the Magazines and Monsters podcast. All right, listeners, that's it. Thanks again for listening to the Longbox of Darkness. Stay safe out there, and above all, pleasant screams to you all until we hear from each other again. That's Herman saying goodbye.